Welcome and thank you for standing by. Your lines have been placed on a listen-only mode until the question and answer session. At that time, if you would like to ask a question, you may press star 1. Today's conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. Now I'll turn the call over to Mary Anna Sanchez, Program Coordinator with the Wilson Center's Canada Institute. You may begin. Good afternoon, everyone. On behalf of the Wilson Center's Canada Institute, I'd like to welcome you to today's Ground Truth Briefing on Voting Going Viral, COVID-19 and Electoral Best Practices from Saskatchewan. Today, we are joined by Dr. Michael Boda, Saskatchewan's Chief Electoral Officer. In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Boda managed a provincial election on October 26, where a total of 400,000-plus votes were cast across 3,000-plus polling locations. Dr. Voda has a decade of experience providing national and international institutions um, on issues relating to election administration, law, and assessment. Dr. Voda has worked in several countries, including Jordan, Pakistan, Ghana, and the United States, with institutions such as the United Nations Development Program. Dr. Voda holds doctorates from Oxford Law and Johns Hopkins. I now turn over the program to Dr. Christopher Sands, Director of the Wilson Center's Canada Institute, who will moderate today's conversation. Chris? Thank you very much, Mariana. And I can't uh, express how pleased I am to have uh, Michael Boda on uh, the Wilson Center Canada Institute's Ground Truth Briefing today. Michael and I went to grad school together before his two doctorates and certainly before mine. Uh, he did a degree at Johns Hopkins SICE, uh where uh, we got to know each other pretty well. And I followed his career as he's worked for organizations such as the International Foundation for Electoral Systems. Uh, he's been a, a fellow at the NED and the Brookings Institution uh, in think tank land where, where we are now. It, he really is someone with a deep knowledge of elections and election administration worldwide, but he's also a really good friend, uh, not only of mine, but also a good friend of the United States. And so, Mike, thank you so much for making time to, to join us today. Well, Chris, it's a, it's a genuine pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. So, I have always appreciated the work of the, uh, of the Wilson Center, and I'm happy to share what insights I can on uh, the conduct of uh, our general election uh, and general elections in, in general at a time when so many jurisdictions are, are struggling with the need to fulfill their constitutional mandates and continue on with the work of democracy while, while being faced with one of the biggest challenges of uh, our lifetime, my lifetime, found in the presence of uh, the co- coronavirus pandemic. So thank you for, for having me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome, and thank you for coming. You know, I think you, you teed this up very well. Americans today, as as we are um, watching on television, are are really trying to figure out who won the election. As we count, as we recount, the internet is full of rumors of votes that might have been lost or 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 faked. Fraud is is in the air. You had a very short window to organize uh, Saskatchewan's election. Um, you know a lot about elections, but this is a pretty extraordinary situation. How did you manage, and, and just from perspective, take us behind the curtain, if you will, to how this looks from the position of a professional election administrator taking on challenges like this. What did you do, and, and how did you try to make it work in, in your case? Sure. Well, Chris, if it's okay, I'd like to offer just a, a few comments to give listeners a, a bit of a window into what what we're experienced, what we have experienced here in the Canadian context, and particularly here in Saskatchewan, uh, into the work we've we've done to conduct uh, a provincial general election, which uh, in fact is still underway, uh, as our final count. Uh, is is to be conducted beginning this Saturday, and that by law is 12 days after the uh, election day of October 26. So after that, uh, I'll be happy to engage in some comparative discussion, uh, particularly considering, as you mentioned, as we speak, what's unfolding across the U.S. Uh, in states and, and, in fact, in counties where we know the bulk of responsibility for election administration resides uh, um, in the American model. So, so 
last Monday at 8 p.m., a voting closed for uh, Saskatchewan provincial election with uh, approximately 434,000 of 841,000 eligible voters having cast their ballots uh, in the province. Uh, initial participation rates uh, look to be about 52% of eligible uh, electors. And in 2016, our last general election, that was about 54%. So almost every aspect of administration of this election uh, has been impacted by the global COVID-19 pandemic, except perhaps that turnout, which looks to be very close to 2016. And I hope that some of those turnout numbers can be traced back to the significant effort we put into ensuring voters knew that voting could be no more risky than a trip to their local grocery store. And while the process of assessment has hardly even begun, I can say already that this election has been unlike any I've been involved in administering over the last uh, 25 years. So I'd like to briefly describe, if it's all right, for you three key steps that we've taken very intentionally and that I believe have contributed to the success that we've been, uh, we've seen so far in this process. Absolutely. Please do. Okay. Uh, a first key step uh, has focused very much on having adapted uh, our election system to lower the risk of spreading the coronavirus. And in fact, uh, there were many methods we pursued to achieve this, uh, but our overarching approach was focused on building capacity in our now three principal areas of voting, reinventing our absentee or vote-by-mail function. Now, in 2016, just 1% of voters participated in this way. In 2020, that level of participation has increased somewhere between 12 and 15%. We'll, we'll be able to nail that down for Saturday while at the same time doing everything we can to make both our five-day advance voting period and the election day voting safer for those who were able to participate in person uh, for those voting options. With the outbreak of COVID-19 and knowing we, we would have a general election in October, it was set in law that it would be October the 26th, we started as early as possible to look for other examples of conducting elections in the U.S., in Australia, and in South Korea to determine what could be done to our system to build capacity to manage different scenarios and to react when needed. And not knowing how many electors would take advantage of each opportunity, vote by mail, advance, election day, we had to quickly build significant capacity for vote by mail so that we could allow for vote by mail applications starting two months before the election day for voters who felt they that attending a poll might be, they, they might be immunocompromised or they felt that it would be a health hazard for them. So early on, we also determined that to make uh, things safer, in-person voting opportunities would need to be spread out in a very different way, meaning that where we might have had five or six polls at a location in 2016, we instead would have just two or three. And in the end, what that meant is our number of polling locations grew from 1,100 in 2016 to uh, nearly 1,900 in 2020. In a second step, we discussed that as an election management body, we would not only need to ensure physical polls met the safety standards of public health officials, but that our voters and our workers would have to be convinced that in-person voting would be safe, even with elevated numbers of COVID-19. Working closely with our public health officials in Saskatchewan, we adapted our physical polls in order to reduce that risk of spreading COVID-19. Our 2020 polls, they looked very different than they did in 2016. With protocols including physical distancing, hand sanitizing, uh, barriers between voters and workers, masks being required for workers and scrutineers, uh, and a strong recommendation that all voters wear a mask at the polls and we provided a mask when a voter uh, didn't have one of their own. But while I believe we took every reasonable step to make our poll safer, uh, this really wasn't enough. Uh, we also had to ensure voters knew that the polls would be safe. Uh, in the weeks leading to the election, we worked very hard to educate stakeholders, so the voters, scrutineers, election workers, so that if perceptions, and that's the key word, perceptions 
of the risk of COVID-19 changed in the province. Stakeholders would remain convinced that visiting the polls in person would be safe. And frankly, I had fundamental concerns about this. So a third and final step that really has been essential to the effective conduct of our election relates to the importance of relationships between election administrators and our stakeholders. The fact is, as Chief Electoral Officer here in Saskatchewan, I, I couldn't have conducted this election without a strong recognition among voters, government, our legislative assembly, parties, candidates, school boards, our First Nation community, personal care facilities, I could go on, uh, that to be successful, the 2020 process would have to unfold very differently in than in 2016. And perhaps most important has been our relationship between my office and the public health officials. Under conditions where the presence of COVID-19 was at the level of just 157 cases in, in the province in mid-August when we be began encouraging voters to apply for mail-in ballots, until Election Day on October 26, when we had 650 cases and 54 new cases that day, we, we couldn't have built the capacity we did and ensured that our process were not contributing to the spread of COVID-19 without strong and really meaningful engagement between public health officials in my office. As an election administrator, I've always believed that an election is not merely a technical exercise, but that those strong relationships the stakeholders are essential to the success of the event. And our 2020 election, I have to say, has only reinforced this for me. Um, and uh, it, it just really has. So I will, I, let me end my comments here, but also knowing uh, that those listening may have an interest in talking about some of the challenges that we had to address in taking these uh, three steps to conduct an election in, in the context of COVID-19 and knowing that there are likely are a number of American listeners, um, I, I think that there are very similar challenges between Canada and the United States, such as uh, challenges with recruitment of election workers, how, uh, how we were able to ensure that we would, uh, we would have in place and didn't lose at the last minute 15,000 workers we needed during advance in election voting, uh, election day voting. Uh, concerns about balancing the system, looking at steps we took to reduce the risk of the entire election system coming down because voters were afraid to participate in in-person voting, and instead, at the last minute, all of them decide to go over to vote by mail. And then legislative challenges with adapting rather than changing our election system to reduce the spread of coronavirus. I, I had the ability to adapt and not change. One thing my mother has has said before, sometimes at uh, the most inappropriate times, that, that I'm a doctor, but not the kind that helps people. Well, <laughs> my expertise is in democracy and election, and it's true, I am not a physician, and I'm not a public health expert. So one of our biggest challenges has been to learn how most effectively we can adapt our election system in a way that reduces COVID-19 and, and not spread it. So. And then finally, there's problem, there were problems with procuring PPE in a short time, admittedly, this was a real challenge, uh, one that we were ultimately able to overcome, but not without a lot of effort. So with that, Chris, I'll turn it back to you. I'm happy to answer any questions and, and continue on with the discussion, but I thought I'd lay the framework first for that. Oh, that's fantastic, Mike. And, and it, really, it really does set uh, for, for people a sense of, of just how much was involved. I want to let our listeners know that if they uh, would like to ask a question, they can do so by typing star, the little asterisk, and one on their phone, uh, and they'll be put into the queue to ask questions. So um, please do that as we go. But I'm going to start with the, the first question. In terms of poll workers, um, when, you, when you needed to adapt this process, did you need more uh, than you would have for a non-COVID, non-pandemic election? And how did you get people willing to take on those jobs that are obviously short-term um, with the risks involved and, and people worried about public health? Sure, absolutely. Um, first of all, to just lay the framework, in 2016, we, we required just about 13,000 workers. And uh, this time around, we haven't calculated the full numbers, but it's around the 15,000 range. Uh, of poll workers that that were required, so we anticipated that we would need we would need more workers. Um, we we maintain a program called Take Part, 
Uh, and over the course of an electoral cycle, uh, we are connecting with now we have about 18,000 people that we connect with in the province on an ongoing basis as part of a, a community of people who help to run elections. And I don't call them the, the public service. I call them the electoral service. Uh, but we engage with them on an ongoing basis to elevate the, the, uh, the knowledge of how elections run and just create a, commun- a sense of community. And so we had to rely on that community in order to, in- to get our workers. Um, but what we were finding is that a lot of our, our workers are from the 65 to 80 range, uh, and so many of those, and rightly so, uh, felt that it was a health hazard for them to work in this context. And so they were bowing out for this particular election. And what I did was I spent a lot of time with our thought leaders and our media across the province talking about uh, getting involved in democracy even when, it's, when, when the times are tough. We, we talked about going back to the First World War, the Second World War, uh, during the Depression, uh, people have always stepped up in this province, and they did yet again. They came forward and started to uh, to participate. Now, the challenge was, and this is where I had to spend a lot of time in the media, we were getting people coming in the front door, but at the same time as our as our COVID numbers were going up, they, there were a number going out the back door. And so we had to consistently make sure that we had people in place. So uh, that was a challenge, and we had to do that right up to the end. But keep in mind, in 2016, for example, I lost 300 workers in the city of Regina due to the flu. And that's, that's an example of, boy, we, we lost all these workers. We had to be more than prepared. We went over our 100% levels in making sure that we had people available. Uh, and we learned that from other elections that we looked at. Uh, particularly, uh, there, was a, uh, there was a primary in Wisconsin where there, there were some real challenges with workers early in the spring. And we saw that that was a last-minute problem. That was one of the things we determined that, that we didn't want to happen so that we would have to reduce the number of polls. Well, that's fascinating. And, and one other question that just comes to mind, uh, and it's related to the, the different nature of Canadian elections and U.S. elections. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how long uh, voting takes? Uh, and I, I, I'll lead with a question because – Americans, we have to make decisions about so many things, including propositions and, and the right dog catcher for our community, all of those kinds of things. But your ballots are simpler. Did that lower the risk of participation for your uh, voters? I, I don't know that it, it uh, lowered the risk of participation, uh, but it is certainly simpler. The, 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 uh, the balloting process is certainly simpler in a Canadian contest context or the Westminster context uh, than it is on uh, the, uh, that you'll see on ballots in the, in the United States. Uh, and in most constituencies, we're running an election simply for the province. So this is at the provincial level. We'll have a separate process for the municipalities. We'll have a separate process for the federal. And so it is simpler. And um, I, don't, I don't think that uh, it probably would have affected the number of people to the polls uh, because they're, I mean, they're used to uh, whatever ballot that's presented to them. So, and and we also saw that British Columbia had an election which was called a bit more by surprise. They they called the election and it held, was held right before yours. For for your case, you had a predictability much like an American election. You know when the date is going to be. How much more complicated it was for your comp, your counterparts in D.C trying to manage an election where there was that sort of snap element, but also the pandemic? Sure. Well, there's, there's a lot of engagement. We have a lot of engagement in Canada between the 14 chief electoral officers, and I, I spent a lot of time uh, discussing things with the chief electoral officer of British Columbia. And you're right. It was a challenge there because it was a snap election in British Columbia. They'd had a snap election earlier in New Brunswick as well, our election, on the other hand, we knew that we were going to have an election. Uh, now, we've been preparing for four years for it. When COVID-19 when COVID arrived, uh, we had to change our approach very quickly, but we had a number of months to prepare. And so that was the difference between the two processes. And we, could, we prepared, I, I think we, we were given the, the benefit of additional time in order to prepare and to prepare the voting public. Uh, and to to uh, to convince them that the polls would be safe 
based on the fact that we were working so closely with the public health authorities. And I think that in, in BC, the, the, uh, the turnout was, had, had gone down from what it had been in British Columbia. And I think that in the end, once the assessment is completed, they'll have to complete their assessment. But it may have been part of that, that we were able to convince our voters that, uh, that the polls would be safe, that our levels of participation were relatively maintained, whereas theirs uh, uh, seemed to drop. But overall, there were not complaints in British Columbia about the, about the safety of the elections. Um, I, I think it was a well-run process. Um, but we probably had more protocols in place here in Saskatchewan simply because we had more time to work with stakeholders to begin and then to adapt our processes. And that was really important to, to, to the safety process. Well, that's, that's tremendous. Thank you for, for that uh, very thorough answer. I mean, it's an insight that most of us don't, uh, wouldn't think about all the things that go on behind an election. We have a question from one of our, our listeners, Roy Norton, who's a, Canada Institute Global Fellow. Roy? Hi. Hello. You can hear me? Yes. Thank you, uh, you Chris Dr. and the Wilson Center, for giving me this opportunity to hear Michael Boda. It's, uh, it's a, a rare pleasure. Um, Mike, uh, looking forward, um, i.e. Not, not to the mechanics, not backwards to the mechanics of how you actually uh, made this happen, but in the context of the United States right now and, and the um, substantial uptake in, in uh, the opportunity to mail in ballots, do you think that this exercise will be transformative going forward? Do you think that uh, it's going to be incumbent on, on electoral systems to find ways to accommodate a very substantial enthusiasm for mail-in voting as distinct from uh, in-person voting either at advance polls or on the day of um, uh, in future elections. Hopefully we're not going to have elections routinely uh, that are encumbered by you know, global pandemics, but um, uh, the global pandemic experience, it seems to me, has, has uh, contributed to what might potentially be an evolution uh, in the direction of, uh, of mail-in voting and away from in-person voting or some greater balance. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that COVID-19, while uh, no one would wish COVID-19 on any jurisdiction or, or, or people, um, will facilitate change, and it has facilitated change much more quickly uh, than, than we have seen in Canada and, and around the world when it comes to election administration. And I have to say in, in, in the jurisdiction I'm working in that that has definitely been the case. Now, after the 2016 process here, I, I, conduct, I had conducted a, an assessment, and I put forward a, a variety of uh, items for legislative change, but also laid out a roadmap for the, for the coming cycles. And part of that was to modernize this process, because uh, particularly vis-a-vis the United States, the Canadian process is very manual, um, and it has been pretty much the same in this jurisdiction since the founding of the province. And so what we had anticipated and what we're planning for, we're planning for is to introduce uh, not uh, voting machines, but tabulators and, uh, and uh, electronic poll books into this process. And COVID-19 pushed that off to the side without, without question. And so your, your question about expanding the kinds of voting that are out there uh, is, is significant. And, and I think that what has happened during COVID-19 with the forced increase of uh, vote-by-mail ballots is part of that overarching goal to offer more opportunities for voting to voters and to spread out that voting. And so uh, I can't see a world in which we go backwards. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we only had 1% of uh, voters who participated with a vote-by-mail absentee ballot, and now that's up to uh, close to 15%. And I, I just don't see it changing uh, that we're going to go backwards in that regard. It does take time for voters to get used to new approaches to voting. So to give you an example, in B.C., the number of vote-by-mail ballots was extraordinarily high. I'm seeing uh, it was only about 6,375 voters used VBM ballots in 2017. In 2020, they had 610,000. 
uh, voters that use those postal ballots. But the difference between Saskatchewan and BC, I believe, is they've used, I believe it was, they've used a vote-by-mail ballot four times in past electoral events in a meaningful way where it was an all-vote-by-mail referenda, etc. And voters were used to using those ballots, and they were getting used to it, and when they were presented with the opportunity this time, they really took it, took it, took it on, whereas our voters weren't really used to using uh, those vote-by-mail ballots. We really pushed the agenda. It did go up, but I expect they're going to feel comfortable with it this time. And so in the future, it's not just going to be about vote-by-mail ballots, but we are also looking at other ways that we can we can uh, uh, introduce or offer voting uh, to, to, to voters across the province. We've expanded uh, advanced voting it, uh, in Saskatchewan uh, this time around in 2020. In 2016, it had been 110,000 people used advanced voting. This time it went up uh, to 185,000, which was a significant increase. So it's really advanced voting is on the level of election day voting. So we're moving towards having an election period rather than having an election day. Mike, that raises a question I, I know some people have, have had, um, and that is if we can do our banking and uh, uh, other transactions online, why can't we vote online? As somebody who's seen this, uh, seen elections around the world, do you think that's where we're headed? Yeah, I, I, there isn't a Canadian jurisdiction that is ready yet to commit to all-out um, virtual or online voting because the technology is not there yet. I'm, I'm not opposed to it in the sense that I think that maybe going forward a decade or more, we're going to have the technology that will allow it. There are challenges with it in the sense that uh, the secrecy of the, of the ballots is extremely important, and the individual on whether they're voting from a, you know, an Internet cafe or, or at home, you don't, there's no way to guarantee their secrecy or that they have actually voted. So there's an element there that is important to consider. So in Canada, there's not a jurisdiction that's ready to go all out with that, but there are certain tests that are being put forward. And, you know, the, the idea of a virtual kind of voting uh, was something that was identified as a gap in the COVID-19 context. And I'll explain that I was given the authority to adapt the process as much as possible, but not change the process. So I couldn't introduce new virtual types of voting, and those things take quite some time to introduce. But what we did was we expanded the absentee voting process. I was, so I, I started August the 15th. So our voters had a full two months um, in order to apply for a ballot, uh, which was important. So we expanded the opportunity on that front. When we got to the end where uh, Canada Post wasn't able to deliver those ballots after the deadline, I expanded it further by introducing what was called extraordinary voting. And so this was for people who had COVID or who were, they, they were cases of COVID or they had contact of COVID so that they too could have that opportunity to vote. And what we did was we, we had to introduce messengers and couriers and we were sending ballots across the province. It was a physical ballot. But that came to an end where the couriers couldn't deliver any longer. We had to, by law, get those, those uh, ballots back by the end of the evening on October 26. And that's where the gap was introduced. Now, every election has this problem. Somebody will go into the hospital. They, they're not able to make it to the, the physical poll location, so there's a gap and they're not able to vote. And that was one of the things that I was, uh, uh, I was disappointed about, that I couldn't do anything about it. There were some people who had COVID who weren't able to vote. If we had a virtual approach, um, we could have done that. Uh, um, British Columbia does, is, I think it's the only jurisdiction in the country that has telephone voting. It's very manual because it involves two people. It takes about 10 minutes to do the voting. So you can't do a large number. Uh, but if I had been able to change the legislation, I could have I could have done that. So I think there is a future for looking at other opportunities. We just have to make sure that it meets the the principles of the uh, secrecy of the ballot. Thank you for that answer. Um, you really have a depth of experience on this that's that's quite incredible. I want to remind our audience that you can join in asking a question if you type star one on your phone, and we have a questioner who's actually an old friend um, 
Professor John Courtney, uh, who's uh, now attached to the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy, which I think you are also, Michael, but was a Wilson Fellow uh, back uh, not that long ago. And so uh, welcome back to the Canada Institute, uh, Professor Courtney, and, and please ask your question. Oh, Chris, a uh, pleasure to hear your voice again. It's nice to uh, be in on this uh, really informative discussion by Michael Boda. And I, I want to begin, I, I'm a resident, uh, as your listeners may or may not know, of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. I'm positioned at the University of Saskatchewan. And I have to say I was mightily impressed by the work that Election Saskatchewan did they were on top of almost everything. Michael has pointed out there's a few little glitches here and there, but that's bound to happen in, in any election anywhere. But in election Saskatchewan's case, the teamwork was admirable. The public relations and the media relations were absolutely first class. So I think it really is a, a best case scenario that we can point to Saskatchewan and to the experience that Michael and his team put together this time. Uh, I, I have to say, Chris, you asked the one question that I was prepared to ask uh, about the um, influence, if any, of the other two jurisdictions and their experience, that is uh, British Columbia and New Brunswick, on uh, Michael's decision-making in, in Saskatchewan. So that's been taken care of. Uh, but, Michael, I would like to pick up on something that you referred to very early on in your in your prepared comments, and that is uh, voter turnout. Now, as you know, in Canada, we have traditionally computed, uh, determined voter turnout by looking at the actual number of votes cast, whether valid or invalid, and uh, the denominator of that equation, of course, is the number of registered uh, voters. Now, you have introduced in uh, your, what, three or four reports that have dealt with elections uh, so far in your experience in Saskatchewan, you've also introduced eligible voters, which is really, in a way, kind of a bow in the direction of American experience as the denominator on the equation. I wonder if you can take us through that a little bit and, and fill us in just where we are now in terms of voter turnout. As you know, Michael, we have seen uh, in a province that traditionally had very high uh, voter turnout for years and years and years in the 80% mark, and then the 70s, and then the 60s. We're now down to the 50s, and the impact of the pandemic, I think, was undoubtedly felt this time around. So it may be a one-off experience. But just take us through your reading of a voter turnout as you determined it with eligible as opposed to registered voters, and be what effect you may have detected from the uh, the COVID crisis. Sure. Well, it's uh, good to hear from you, John. And uh, thank you for that, that question. Um, I guess I, I begin the story back in 2016 in that our, our turnout numbers were, uh, they, they were quite high in terms of they were in the mid, not quite high, really high, but they were in the mid-60s to, uh, to 70% range. And when I, when I came back to Saskatchewan in 2012, I, I realized that that wasn't really telling an accurate story because the denominator that we were comparing that against was how many registered voters we had. And Saskatchewan up until then was uh, quite late at adopting a more efficient way of, uh, of registering voters. Uh, we were still doing what we had done in in the early 1900s, we were going door-to-door -door before every election, sending about 3,000 people out to create a list of electors, uh, and we would base our turnout on that. And over time, what happened was that the, uh, that number uh, was uh, relative to the eligibles was diminishing. People were not opening their doors. They didn't want to talk to the, uh, to the people that were coming to the door to create the list. And we were looking at about a 70% coverage rate at that point. And it just wasn't acceptable. It wasn't telling the real story. And so uh, after I arrived, 
I wanted to tell the full story. And we also began to, began to realize we needed a new way of registering voters. And so um, over the course of four years, we introduced what's called our permanent register of electors. And we manage uh, that list on an ongoing basis using a number of data points, including uh, eHealth and uh, Elections Canada and, uh, and other resources. So we don't have to go door to door. We can manage that list and it is more accurate as we're moving into the election. And so that 70% coverage rate by introducing a new kind of register um, is now in 2020 at 97% coverage rate. So we went from 70% to 90, 97% uh, coverage rate. And so at that point in 2016, uh, John, you will remember, I had to get out in front of it because it would have looked like our our, our Turnout rate had gone down dramatically from the mid-60s down to 52%, 53%. And so I did get in front of that and say, we're, this is a new life, a new world. We're, we're doing it differently. And so that was where it was at about 53.5%. And for this election, we are comparing it at 52%. Uh, that's where the turnout is probably going to end up at about. Uh, so that I'm, I'm comparing apples to apples in this context, 2016 to 20. 2020. Now, you asked about the implications of this turnout, and I know you study turnout. Uh, uh, you have over the years studied uh, turnout. I have been concerned as a chief electoral officer about the turnout rate. In Saskatchewan, my job is actually not to get the voters out. My job is to reduce the barriers for voters so that everyone has an access to the ballot. But at the same time, I have been working with stakeholders, political parties, academics, other thought leaders, in order to ask the question, why is our turnout so low with those eligible voters? And um, I, would, I, I see 50% as being a, an important uh, mark, where if we were to go below that 50%, problems would be introduced in terms of the credibility of uh, of governments that are being elected. And so that's why I had my eye on this very, uh, I was very focused on it over the course of this RIC period because I was concerned that it was going to drop dramatically. And uh, I was pleased to see that it, it, it had, it ha I was pleased to see it hadn't dropped that much. Um, but it's a little bit of a personal anecdote, but back in the 1988 uh, federal election, I was a student, and I had a chance to um, to come in as a sort of amateur election observer, uh, nosy American. Um, and I was out uh, I was out in Vancouver Quadra, where John Turner, the late John Turner, uh, was running. And I saw something that was interesting, which was that the process of the parties having uh, scrutineers who were involved in the process, making sure that that things were okay. How is your relationship, if you have a relationship with parties, and how do parties participate as institutions in the election? And if I maybe push a little farther, I know that this election you had the Buffalo Party. Um, I know it had a predecessor, but I think the Buffalo Party was only chartered in earlier this year, right around the time of the pandemic. How was how was developing a good confidence level uh, with that new entrant uh, during this election? Sure, sure. Well, I mentioned in my introductory comments the importance of uh, relationship building. And this is something I, I brought into Saskatchewan from my experience uh, elsewhere around the world. And, and that is that election administrators normally just focus on the, on the technical side of elections, and they haven't focused a great deal on the relationships. And, and th I think that has been integral to the success of this COVID election. Uh, and political parties are central to that uh, because we had been able to build that relationship over the course of the last eight years, two cycles, where uh, it wasn't just a matter of, oh, there's a general election coming, and then I'd reach out and, and we'd begin to try to figure out how things would work. It was a matter of the fact that, that we had had ongoing uh, meetings over the course of eight years. We have annual meetings in which we come together. I bring together speakers that are of interest to all political parties and of interest to me. We bring them from outside the jurisdiction and we talk through a variety of issues. I don't, I regulate them, yet at the same time I'm trying to build capacity for parties in the province in general. 
And so that really proved to be effective in the context of this election where I had to, remember I said that I could adapt the process, and working with our chief medical health officer, I realized that we could not have scrutineers in our polling locations to the extent that they have been there in the past. We had to reduce the number significantly. And so that took, uh, uh, it took relationships in order to get that done. I had the authority to do it, to issue chief electoral officer orders, um, and we did it, but we did it through uh, a collaborative process where we said, this is what we're trying to achieve. We want to make sure that people are safe at the polls, and we were able to move forward in that regard. So we have six registered political parties in the province, uh, and we have had uh, a uh, we've had a Western Separatist Party, uh, which uh, which was in existence in the last election, uh, but it is no longer in existence in the province. But then the Buffalo Party did arrive. It was originally known as the Wexit Party, and then changed its name to the Buffalo Party. Um, that relationship has not been formed in the way that uh, it's not mature in the way it is with the other five parties. And so uh, I would say there, the, there, weren't, there weren't any particular issues that arose uh, with, with the party, um, and they, uh, they proved to, be, uh, to, to garner uh, a number of votes, particularly in the south of Saskatchewan. Fascinating. Um, I want to remind our audience uh, as we come uh, to our final few minutes, there's still time to get a question in. Just type star one on your phone and we'll have you in the queue. And while we see if there are other questions, um, I wonder if I can take you, Mike, uh, Michael, into the, the territory of the U.S. election. So many of us here are looking at uh, debates about who won, who counted votes, et cetera, Reflecting a bit, and as a professional, not, not in any way as a partisan, um, what do you see going on in the United States now? And I was particularly struck when you were saying in your opening remarks that you have a 12-day period to count the ballots, where here we seem to expect them to be uh, announced by the news networks on the evening of and, and be able to go to bed knowing who won. Um, how structurally uh, challenging is it for U.S. election administrators to do the job they're doing uh, these days, both because of pandemic, but also because of a lot of distrust of institutions that has crept into the U.S. system in the re in recent years. Mm -hmm. Well, there are uh, a lot of excellent election administrators in the United States, and they, the the counties and the jurisdictions range dramatically from very small to uh, much larger than Saskatchewan, and so. Uh, that, that's the thing to understand about the U.S. context is that uh, that it is run by by counties and cities, and that is is very disaggregated in that regard. And and I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges of of running elections in that context because uh, be, because of the the differences. Where in Canada, uh, it's pretty consistent across the board. Uh, and certainly every province has their own election management body, and then we have a national election management body. And in that case, whereas a secretary of state in a U.S. state, for example, um, would not have the authority uh, that I would to control what would be the equivalent of the counties. Um, everyone in those uh, in, in constituencies, they work for me as chief electoral officer. So there, there is an ability to, uh, to pull the levers uh, centrally here in a Canadian context. But that also means that we're able to communicate uh, in a very different way. And in the context of this particular election, that is, that is what was really important. Yes, you're right. We didn't, the average person in Saskatchewan doesn't know that there's a final count 12 days after an election because most elections are decided on election night and vote-by-mail ballots don't matter. But those vote-by-mail ballots, are actually counted uh, principally on that uh, during that final count, 12 days after the election. Now, I was able to adapt the system, and we actually began counting two days after the election with those, uh, those vote-by-mail ballots that were received by 8 p.m. on election night, and now we'll count the rest of them at the end. But these are the sorts of things that you need to communicate out to stakeholders well in advance. And that's what I, that was absolutely my intention. That's what I did. I was in the media 
uh, communicating that to our voters and to our political party stakeholders well in advance so that they knew, hey, don't, don't expect that this, is, that's, this count's going to look like it did in 2016. Um, there could be some races that are decided during the second preliminary count and then at final count. And that's, that's actually what has ended up happening. Uh, but the stakeholders are good with that because I had the ability to use the, uh, the bully puppet. I was able to communicate that. And that's not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, in counties you're not able to do that necessarily uh, in the way that we're able to do it here. It's interesting. I think so much is often focused on, on outcomes. But, but separate from the outcome, uh, it seems like a lot of what you – you do. There's a science to it. There's some some technical organization skills. But a lot of um, your role with voters and parties is managing and helping to set expectations. Oh, that's that's absolutely true, and that and that's the that that's where uh, I think you can get some some wins with respect to being an election administrator. It's that you reach out and build those relationships. Some of it's behind the scenes. Some of it's uh, very public. But I, I'll tell you, it was in um, just as COVID broke out uh, in the province of Saskatchewan, um, uh, you know, person who's done a lot of academic work, the first thing I do is I write a paper. Uh, and I wrote a, a, brief, a brief memo uh, that went over to the Legislative Assembly uh, with a cover letter, and it said, listen, this election is going to be different than in 2016. And this is how I believe we need to collaborate moving forward, speaking to the, to the premier and his government and speaking to legislators. These are the things that I need some help with. Because normally, you know, in a Canadian context, uh, an election management body is, a, is an independent agency. It stands outside of government. It, uh, it's, it's a completely independent agency. And I don't normally ask for any assistance from government, uh, nor do I offer assistance other than there's a budget that comes from the legislature, and, uh, uh, and I, but I don't ask for guidance from them. Um, but in this particular context, I said, this is going to be different, and uh, I need your help in these particular areas. Some of it had to do with purchasing PPE. Uh, obviously, we're not experts in this. And... Uh, the, the Saskatchewan Public Safety Agency had that expertise. We were able to get that assistance. Uh, in other ways, we needed the schools uh, to be, uh, we needed students not to be in the schools on election day. It was very important for the safety uh, of students not to be there on election day. And uh, they were able to provide that assistance. So we needed some, some changes to legislation, changes uh, outside of legislation that really helped us improve the safety of uh, for, for voters on election day. So those relationships were just utterly fundamental to the process. And, and I believe even in a normal, uh, under normal circumstances, those relationships are important. Yeah. You, you mentioned your academic side, so I can't resist, you know, uh, Samuel Huntington or, or Max Weber maybe would, would say uh, that maybe some of this has to do with culture and Saskatchewan is, is, in a way, one of the most welcoming, uh, kind communities I've ever visited. Saskatchewan people have been tremendous, certainly when I've come through. To what extent is your experience Saskatchewan-specific, and to what extent is it applicable elsewhere? How important is the Saskatchewan spirit and, and local culture to building relationships and trust in the way that you've done it? Yes, I... I would say because I have I have lived in uh, in, in numerous ju- jurisdictions over the years, and I do have to say Saskatchewan is particularly collaborative uh, when it when it comes to to governance, um, and so and and the fact that uh, I was born and raised in this province um, that it, it it probably makes it easier to to found to to establish those relationships and to and to follow through on them. Um, I know that, of course, there are other jurisdictions that uh, that are um, that that don't have the same kind of culture that you were talking about. Uh, but that said, I think that uh, you know things things haven't been perfect here, and that those relationships had to be developed. 
and arguments had to be made for why collaboration is so important in this regard in terms of governance and making sure that the institutions are strong. And uh, arguments have had to be made to, to ensure to build those uh, institutions. Uh, and, and I think uh, it has been effective here, but I think it can be effective. It can be effective in most, in most jurisdictions. Um, sometimes when we're working in, in a developing democracy, for example, that's where that, those relationships are broken and they need to be, they need to be fixed and they need to be developed. And, uh, that's what I did for a long time in my career was working in those environments. And I think that success can be had, uh, in developing democracies as well or in, 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 in other jurisdictions where, where it's a problem. So. Well, I, I think you're probably right and, and very uh, very gracious in that response, but I um, I also have to say that it's uh, it's still something special uh, to see the way that you talk respectfully about the people involved in the process, the trust that you've built. Uh, there's at least some of that uh, Saskatchewan spirit that uh, that you have that I think uh, has contributed somewhat to the success that you've had and. And uh, maybe we can work on developing that in the U.S. and other places because I think it would go a long way to restoring some of the social trust and social capital, to use Putnam's term, that we, we seem to have eroded in the last election cycle. For sure. For sure. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming uh, here to the Canada Institute virtually to share with us from your sort of ground-eye view of how uh, the election in a pandemic in Saskatchewan managed to be so relatively smoothly run. Uh, I've learned a lot, the insights into the system, even though I knew something about the Canadian electoral system, something about the provincial electoral systems, but you, you, you thought something as you almost always do when we have a chance to talk. And I really appreciate your time, especially since you haven't finished your count and won't until the weekend. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you and to, to be able to share uh, our experience here uh, has has been uh, I, I find that to be really important, and we're looking forward to uh, to doing more of it. So, thanks for the invitation today. You're absolutely welcome. And now, let me turn it back to Mariana Sanchez Ramirez to uh, to close us out. Thank you, Chris. Thank you all for joining us this afternoon on the Ground Truth Briefing. Uh, just so you all know, an audio recording of, of today's briefing will be available on our website, www.wilsoncenter.org within the next 24 to 72 hours after the conclusion of today's briefing. Thank you so much for joining us.